All right, I want to talk this morning out of Numbers 16 and 17, and that's start right there. That's perfect. Uh, you, you know, the question, first of all, a lot of you know already, of course, Larry through the years here, and Beth. Larry's pastoral ministry and his ordination, it's a long time ago. His original ordination, I don't even know how many. He's older than I am. You, he doesn't look older than I am, but I mean, it's a long time ago. And, uh, but in the Anglican church and the historic churches, uh, we, do, we do not diminish God's grace and calling upon people. Uh, we, we believe, you know, if God set them apart and using them, it's fantastic. But we just, in our system, we regularize people in the sense that we ordain them if they've not been ordained uh, by apostolic bishops. And there's reasons for that. But we're not trying to offend or certainly presume that we're any better than anybody else. Uh, you know, it would be, it'd be wonderful if we could look around the world and say, oh, Anglicans are doing a better job than everybody else, not the Pentecostals or the Baptists uh, or the Catholics or whatever, but we can't say that. And so we're just glad to be part of the team and to be doing uh, the Lord's work, and we're so grateful for that. But we're also so grateful for every part of, other part of God's church who loves him, exalts him, and is ministering powerfully uh, in their gifts and in his name. Uh, so, but what a blessing is for us when from time to time God sends people to us who have had powerful ministries, have served the Lord faithfully, and who also want to serve in the context of the historic church and our local church here, St. Andrews, and, and uh, in terms of being a part for who we are. And we couldn't be more honored and blessed uh, to have both of you here and some of the kids that moved away we would like to have back. We'll, we'll say that. But anyway, um, we, are, we just couldn't be. Uh, anyway, we, we are really blessed. I mean, when... Lord sent Don and uh, I mean Carter and them come up, came up from here as young men, but but the, for the Lord to send us older people who know Jesus and walk with Jesus uh, for a long time, 20, 30, 40 years, that's priceless. I mean, you can teach people how to say communion properly. You can teach them sort of our traditions and things. And I've never seen anyone more sincere of learning them properly than Larry, by the way. You'll notice Larry will do it more correct probably than the rest of us. Uh, he likes doing everything right, and, and that's wonderful. Um, but it's it's all the years of following Jesus and preaching His Word, all things He's done up to now that makes Him uh, such an incredible blessing to us, uh, which we don't deserve, but we, are, we certainly welcome and we are, uh, have enjoyed and we continue to enjoy uh, that part. Come on, no problem. No, no, no. It's all right. What a pretty girl. Yeah. <laughs> We're glad we got enough people that have to walk around to get to a seat. I love it. That's good. All right. So, but this morning, I want to answer a question. I don't know why, uh, but I, I felt like as I prayed this week, that one of the questions I had as a Baptist, as a young man, was, why do we ordain all these priests? I mean, sure, it's off-putting. You know I don't wear the mitre all the time. The mitre symbolizes the Holy Spirit, the tongues of fire. Some of you familiar with that? The Bible talks about that. Remember, the original mitres in the Old Testament, they had to be uh, fuchsia, uh, gold, uh, blue, and those colors, they say, if you looked at it, it would look like a flame on top of the priest's head. That was the original. And it was a sign indicating the authority of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that would come out and be poured out at Pentecost. And so, uh, you know, it's, a, it's something from the Bible. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and we wear them especially when, we are, uh, when a bishop is acting in the name of the church like an ordination. Uh, and so we don't wear the mitre. You know, I, I probably wear it, what, three or four times a year, uh, mostly in ordinations, a confirmation, and a few things like that. But we, it's not something we do every day. It's not our 
custom to always be in the mitre and to carry the crozier, which also represents uh, what it means to be a shepherd uh, of, of Christ's flock, etc. Um, but there is a question. You're like, hey, First Peter says, or excuse me, uh, yeah, First Peter two nine talks about the fact we're all priests, and so we were taught in the Baptist church as a kid. You know, we're all we're a kingdom. Well, let's read it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priest, and a holy nation, God's special possession. And of course, we know this idea of what it means that we are. Uh, we enjoy part of the Reformation. You know, we appreciate. We enjoy the fact um, of the priesthood of all believers. Meaning, we don't have to go through somebody, not a priest or anybody else. Uh, to know salvation, to know the Lord Jesus personally, uh, to walk in his ways. We're not, we don't need a mediator apart from the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so there is in parts of the church, some of us grew up, you know, what's really the point then? Why do we have pastors? Why do we have, well, it's in the Bible, but what, what's the point? And, and what I want to remind you this morning when we talk about ordination, the ordination of priests, is that the verses that are quoted in the New Testament, which some people think prima facie on the face of it, indicate that we don't really need priests or pastors. Actually, they're quoting a verse that was given in Exodus 19. Now, this is really important because Exodus 19 comes before what chapter? 20. This is a really, this is a university town. We've got some of the brightest people in America right here this morning. I'll throw you softballs, all right? You stay awake. No trick questions this morning. We've got visitors. A normal Sunday will trick question. But so... In Exodus 20, you got the giving of the law. And then after the giving of the law, you had the setup of the whole sacrificial system because God knew that the people of God could not keep the law. So the law said here, the law reveals God's holiness in his nature and character. And, and, and then he describes then himself in that. And then, but knowing at the very beginning, they cannot keep this, he institutes a sacrificial system to make good for the people a way to hold off his wrath and punishment until the Messiah comes and dies on the cross for our sins. All right? So the idea of the priesthood of all believers is long before the New Testament. It's rooted before even the giving of the law, meaning God gave people to serve his people in an Aaronic priesthood. Of course, there's the priesthood of Melchizedek. If we have any Mormons, we can go into that later. Uh, it's kind of a joke, but anyway. Um, that's an important thing. But, 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 but this morning, we say, what about, why do we have priests? What's the deal? Now, first of all, in the Anglican Church, we use the word priest coming from the Old English presbyter. And presbyter means elder. Okay, so we're not claiming, by the way, as some might do in some parts of the church, they might look at the Hebrew word that was sacerdotus and look at the sacrificial priesthood and say, we have a New Testament fulfillment of Old Testament priests. We don't say that in the Anglican Church. What we say is our priests are presbyters. Uh, they are people who have been called by God as shepherds to feed God's flock, to preach, to guard the flock, etc. But we look at it as the word elder. So the word presbyter, or presbyteros in the Greek, uh, it means, you know, Presbyterian churches are ruled by elders. That's why they're called Presbyterian. Episcopal priests are ruled by bishops, episcopoi being bishop or overseer. Uh, and so that's why those that are organized with bishops uh, often will have in their name Episcopal in terms of that. Now, the old joke... Can I do another joke? You guys don't look like you're in a good mood this morning. Presbyterian. I was raised Baptist all my life, right? So until I was 30 years of age, about. So Presbyterians ruled by elders. Episcopalians ruled by bishops. Baptists ruled by the mob. That's another statement. Anyway, some of you won't get that, but anyway. Some of you have been in rough Baptist churches. I grew up in rough Baptist churches. There's sweet Baptist churches and mean ones, and I gave out of the mean ones. Anyway, all right. 
So the point is, the priesthood of all believers does not mean the fact that we really do have, because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and access to God through Jesus, and we don't have to go through some system of uh, a man-made system, but rather Jesus revealed himself in his perfect life and sacrificial death, and by faith we have absolute and complete access. But that doesn't mean, the priest of all believers does not mean that God has not set apart for himself servants whose job is to serve the flock and to uh, bless the flock uh, in a powerful way. Now, there's three things, and do not let me end my sermon this morning without telling you the three things that are unique to the office of priest as opposed to deacon, all right? And we call them the ABCs. So if I forget at the end, you guys say, the ABCs, and then I'll tell you the last three things as we close. So at the end of the day, so there is a part of the church that really is not so sure about ordained ministers because we're priests of all believers. Remember, that verse was quoted in Exodus before the law and before the institution of the Old Testament priests, and of course the New Testament develops that further into a New Testament ministry as well. So, but I want to mention this story, and I can't read it all, but if you turn the thing, there is in number 16 this rebellion of Korah. And Korah and two sons of, two descendants or sons of Reuben uh, got in a huff, uh, and they complained. And if you look here in the first uh, section there, the first three verses, let's see this big rebellion. I mean, people died in this rebellion. I mean, I've seen some church splits where people wanted people to die, uh, but I've never seen, I'm serious, there's some people that, you'll see some hatred in some church splits. But in this split, people really died. All right, I mean, really died. So here we go. Numbers 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izar, I'm guessing on pronunciation, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Ibram, the sons of Elibib, Eliab, I don't know, and the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Now the key here is Reuben. These guys have an offense the sons of Reuben do, because Reuben, the oldest son, did not receive the blessing but Judah. We've talked about this in the past. Okay, what did Reuben do? Okay, Reuben slept with his father's, or at least he was believed to have slept with his father's concubine and dishonored him. And so Reuben was passed over, as was Simeon, right? And so Judah became the inheritor because Judah showed the most massive repentance at the end of Genesis when he saw what his sin was, he was the worst brother, but he came to the profound repentance, and therefore Israel was based upon, and the prominent tribe and blessing comes through Judah because he was a person who came to profound repentance, which reflects the quality that is necessary to ultimately receive salvation in the Old and New Testament. So Judah, that's why they're Jews in the Old Testament and not Simeonites or, or, or Gadites or some other tribe. It's they're Judites, right? or they're Jews. All right? So... Anyway, so uh, Korah is upset, uh, and, and, and basically he acts like it's all about the fact that Moses is somehow promoting his brother, uh, it's, a, it's a fixed system, he set up this thing on his own, it's a fraud, God doesn't really, we're all the same, God has said to us in Exodus 19, we're all royal priesthood, and so why is it, Moses, that you're doing this thing? Now listen, listen to me very carefully. I have seen a lot of church splits today, and a lot of people complain about church leadership. And I've seen some real bad church leadership. But I'll tell you this. In the vast majority of cases where I saw people who say they want to do a house church or something else, and they're mad at a priest, uh, they're not just mad at the priest, they want to be the priest. And in the case of Korah, he didn't just want Moses not to have it to be Aaron, he wanted it for himself. And it's clear in the text that he had selfish ambition. 
And so on the one hand, he says, oh, we're all the same. But he had every intention of exalting himself. You will see that many, many, many times. And I'm not against house church, but I'm just saying, you'll find people who are leaving churches, claiming they want everyone to be the same. There shouldn't be, and, and, and yet they'll end up being twice as tough as any pastor of any church they came out of. So here we go. So they gathered, and 250 men, verse 3. And the, so the bunch of people, they're all upset because of Aaron and his family being in a special position. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. Oh, you got all your traditions, you're doing all this stuff, but it's not really from God. For all the congregations, holy. we're all a holy nation. You're not special. You shouldn't be saying that only Aaron can do this and only Aaron can do that and we got to be over here. We're all holy. We're all priests. Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, notice that everything that Korah said was true. What he said wasn't untrue. It's just, it is not necessarily followed. The fact that all of us have a relationship with God and are holy people because of Jesus, it does not necessarily follow that God has not called people to serve the flock or to be a blessing to the people. All right? So he, he said true things, but his motives, his motives get revealed down below. So notice down by about, we'll, go to, we'll jump down to about verse 6. And uh, Moses is upset, and he says, okay, let God judge. Let him kill you or kill me. Let's, 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 let's do it. Let's let God answer. Uh, something, by the way, we don't want to say. Okay? Moses said it. Hey, praise the Lord. But don't be quick to say something like this. Do this. Take censers with incense. Korah and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. We'll let God do whatever he wants. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, here now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing? You got all this, the sons of Levi got to serve at the temple, had all kind of jobs to do. They were at an important place, but they wanted the other person's place. Isn't that how it is? As soon as someone has to get the prophecy or someone can sing, everybody else wants it. All of a sudden, all the competition, insecurity, self-centeredness, self-glorification, all that stuff comes out. No different today than back then. Moses says, It's a small thing to you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve him. And that he has brought you near to himself, you and your brother and the sons of Levi with you. Are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, that's what Moses is saying. Saying, look, it's not enough that you have your gifts and calling. You're seeking something that has not been apportioned to you. All right, now, if you know the story, what happens? Well, the sons of Reuben will not come. Uh, they get swallowed up, I think, and uh, the other ones by fire. Uh, uh, so basically, all the bad ones get burned up or they get swallowed up. Uh, makes you worry in a place like Florida with these uh, sinkholes, you know. Let's, let's pray that those sinkholes swallows us up before we die. All right, so are you following the story so far? Let's jump now to the very end, and let's look at verse 41. And the people, though Moses was vindicated, God killed everybody that was against Moses and did this terrible rebellion, lied against the Holy Spirit. What happens is, the fire of the Lord, verse 35, and the fire of the Lord consumed 250 men who were offering incense. All right, so all of them were burned. The others wouldn't come from their tents. The earth opened up the old sinkhole and swallowed that, closed back up. That's a decisive victory from God. 
And I, I have to say, I've been in some church problems, and you know, you wouldn't mind a little sinkhole every now and then, if, you, if assuming that you weren't going to be in it. But nonetheless, we don't do that. All right. But even though Moses and Aaron are vindicated, the people complain. Look at verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord, meaning you've been too tough on them. Of course, who, who, who killed them, Moses or God? All right, but God in his kindness then, and this is the, the point of this Sunday uh, sermon and this ordination sermon, it's here in chapter 17, this beautiful thing. So, people complain that Moses has been too tough. They're all dead. Couldn't we have been a nicer? Uh, by the way, this is what it is in churches. You have difficult people wrecking a church. When the pastor steps in and does something, everyone says, you've got to do something. As soon as the pastor does something, the pastor is being too tough. By the way, it drives you crazy, but nonetheless. Uh, here we go. Number 17.1, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. Because they weren't happy with the fact, even though God had shown that Moses was right, Aaron was right, they weren't happy about it. So he says, each family, each tribe, get a rod. All right, And put the name of the people of the tribe on the, uh, on the rod. And on the one from Le uh, Aaron, uh, Levi, put Aaron's name in terms of the priesthood. So, speak to the children of Israel, get from them a rod, each father's house, all their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods for the 12 tribes. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house, meaning the 12 sons of uh, Israel. So, now, four, then you shall place them in the tabernacle of the meeting before the testimony, where I will meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose, this is God talking, will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. Okay, so we got 12 rods for each of the tribes. They put them in the tabernacle in front of the testament. Here is verse 6. Now Moses spoke to the children of Israel. They did it all. Here it comes now, verse 8. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. And that brought the peace. The end. Why did that bring the peace? All the jealousy and competition, God had dealt with the rebellious bad people. Twelve rods. Aaron's rod buds and produces uh, white flowers and, and almonds, and that helps everybody else. And everybody goes, oh, I get it now. We're going to be cool. Let's go back to having fun and being peaceful people. Why? Because the first tree of the new season of harvest of new, in the spring to bloom was the almond. And the first almond, and the almonds were considered like a gift and a luxury by God to everybody. This morning, we have a bowl of almonds. I, I hesitate in this day of germs to pass a bowl of almonds. But the idea is, this is what God was saying. Uh, the almonds symbolized purity, intimacy with God, and the blessing of God, and sort of the lavish gift of God. And what God is saying by having Aaron's rod, rod blossom is that Levi, and specifically the family of Aaron who are priests, they are given to be a blessing to everyone else. He makes the, so they got it. They got the picture. We don't get the picture. We don't think of almonds that way. 
Here are the almonds. Pass the almonds. They're raw almonds. More like you'd have... Just pick one, Don. Don't. Don's putting his hands in the whole thing. <laughs> you know little kids will touch every one of the M&Ms and then finally take one? Just touch one. Yeah. Go ahead and eat if you like. So in this, you know, if we read it, particularly from the West, all these years later, say, well, well okay, there's a, you know, it blossom, air, uh, the, 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 the almond blossom. But what God was saying is, don't be jealous of Aaron. You have your callings. Aaron and the priesthood, their job is to be a blessing to the rest of you. That's the purpose of the Old Testament priesthood. Now, we are not the exact same New Testament priesthood, but it is the same thing. There is nothing super fancy about being called into ordained ministry. Well, I mean, there's fancy outfits if you're Anglican. I mean, there's some fancy things. But, but uh, it, 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 just, it is what it is. It, the, the priests and the, those who are ordained elders in the church are there ordained and called about, called about and for God's purpose to serve the flock so that they would be a blessing to you and your gifts. Not to do everything, which is what happens in most churches. Everyone thinks the pastor does everything. Uh, that's not reality, and I'm glad that we have a church that understands that. We have a very uh, mature congregation who knows what it means to serve and minister, share the gospel, pray for the sick, cast out demons, all that stuff. What a wonderful thing. But it is the purpose of those called to ordain ministry is to be a blessing to the flock of God. Now, there's three specific things in the historic churches that we look to that differentiates the minister of a deacon versus that of a priest or an elder. All right, There are more than this, but these are the three main things that we look for, and they're called the ABCs. These are the ways in which, in a peculiar and special and unique way, the new priest serves the body of Christ and the world in his ministry to be that almond, to be that blessing uh, to everyone else and their gift. I don't, know if, I, I don't know if it sounds powerful to say you're the almond, but anyway, here we go. So, the first is, what a priest can do uniquely, not like a deacon or other people is, a priest can, in the name of the church, in the authority of the church, set apart for God, they can absolve people of their sins. Did you know that? Jesus said to the apostles, those whose sins you, you forgive, they're forgiven. Those that you retain, what it means is the Holy Spirit, with the office of, of elder and priest, what happens is the Holy Spirit, to those who are living right, can the system be abused? Yes. Will God deal with those people harshly who do it wrong? Yes. But in the natural flow of things, those who are called to serve and to watch over God's flock will be given the grace of the Holy Spirit to determine when people are legit or illegit when they come in these difficult situations that are unclear, the Holy Spirit will guide them. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be with you in the midst. That's not when we're on a wiener roast on a Boy Scout camp. The context of that in Matthew 18 is church discipline. When we come together in these very tough cases and we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit is when two or three of you are gathered in the middle of that, I'll be there and I will lead and guide a sincere and submitted group of men who are committed to the process of getting restoration, holiness, and protecting the church. And they'll know, yes, this person, receive them. And this person, no, put them out. All right? That's one of the key things. So anybody can tell me uh, that my sins are forgiven and be legit. Meaning you don't need to be a priest to say, oh, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The difference is it's in the name and authority of the church. I'm so great. My, my natural father, can other people have said to me before, your sins are forgiven. Jack, I mean, it's just 
He's a priest. But, but I mean, people have said to me, and it was when I heard it from another human being, whether they were ordained or powerful to have another person tell me what I know intellectually, but seemed like it didn't expand in my heart until I heard it on the lips of another person reminding me the truth of Jesus. Meaning, if Jesus had been there, and he was, he spoke to that person, and it set me free from all kinds of uh, uh, accusation from the enemy and things that I was fighting with uh, through my shame and my self-hatred and all that stuff. I mean, to have another human being say, and it's powerful. We, the last thing we want to do is the only priest can do this in a sense of a, in an everyday basis. I hope you all are telling people, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You're forgiven. If you turn him in hard repentance and sincere faith, absolutely, Jesus. Every one of us can say it. The priest says it also, though, in the name and authority of the church. There are certain situations, I don't know why, particularly in exorcisms and other cases, where it seems that without the authority of the church, it doesn't stick in the same way. However you want but there's a unique sense of which the ordained priest has the right to absolve. We all can tell the truth, and it's just as true whoever says it, because it's true because it's about Jesus. But it's the authority of the church. The second thing, uniquely, same with you, Chad, just one. The second thing, uniquely, is a priest has the right to bless in the name of the church. Right, everyone can bless. Bless you. By all means, be blessing people. You know, we had rushed through those conferences. I'm still benefiting, learning what it means to, to not pray. I often, I'm, I turn my blessing into a prayer. A blessing is a declaration. It's where we choose, because Jesus lives in our heart by faith, to align ourselves with God's word and God's love, and we bless other people to come to the fullness and the flourish to whom God has intended them to be in Christ. And however that manifests, we bless people who were childless and we've seen them have children. We had a couple at uh, River Cross where we prayed for them. They had so many kids that say, Ron, would you stop? Whatever you prayed three years ago, would you stop? We've had twins and another. We, we, we don't want him. Well, I don't, they didn't want anymore, but they, they, didn't, they want to slow it down a little bit. But it wasn't me, although Jesus is in me and Jesus is in you. Our blessings matter. There's power because Jesus lives in our heart by faith. But a priest in the name and authority of the church has the ability to preach, I mean to say and speak that blessing, and there's a different authority for some particular and special situation. In most cases, it doesn't matter, but in sometimes it really does matter. And there's a depth of it when a person speaks corporately and as a unified voice speaks on behalf of Christ and his church, there's power there. It's a different level of authority and anointing in that way. And then see. The other thing that is unique to a priest, it is only given to a priest as opposed to a deacon to actually consecrate the communion service. Now, in the early church, it was just bishops and deacons. I don't know if you know this. So in the early church, what would happen is, if you had the bishop of Rome, everyone else would be the deacons, or most of them would be deacons. They would come to like a 6 a.m. service, and the bishop would consecrate the bread and the wine. They would take communion, have a service together, and then they would, each of the deacons would get like their lunch pail. I'm teasing, but, but some version of this for their day. And they would go out into all the house churches all over Rome, and then they would deliver and, and preach, and they would give communion to the people, though the bishop was the one uh, who, are, uh, who consecrated it. Now, why? Well, in the early church, the reason was because of false teaching. So the way that you could tell, you know, there was all kind of Gnostics and other people teaching false doctrine. How could you tell who was legit and who was not legit? You could tell by the Eucharist. So the old saying is, the Eucharist makes the church. Meaning it is the people who are duly ordained, consecrated, and then sent out 
by those duly ordained and consecrated who bring us the Eucharist, those are the ones that we can guarantee that the teachings that they give us, they will be correct and not some cult or some other thing. And there were many, many of those things uh, in the early world, just like there is today. So, the three unique things. Absolution. Blessing. And consecration. And almost every other, there are a few other things we might look at, but basically those are the three major things which are unique. There's a special anointing and authority. Now, Larry's been an ordained elder 20, 30, I don't know, I don't want to say too small, but a lot of years. 35 years. He's not as young as he looks. All right? So we're not claiming that God has not been using to do those very things in the past. What we're saying is, as Anglicans, we get the privilege to add our hands to this wonderful history of God's ministry in his life. Uh, he has flourished. Uh, there is good fruit. Uh, and we get to add to it. So we're not presuming any uh, deficit. We're not saying, oh, but we're saying, for all these wonderful and good things, we also come and we lay our hands upon you in the name of the historic church. Now notice, why do I wear my miter at different points of the service? The miter I take on specifically when I am acting in the name of the church. So when it comes time especially, I mean, there's a whole bunch of times in this service, you know, there's different people like to wear it more or less. But, it, but in a sense, everything I'm doing up here, uh, other than the confession of sin, I could wear the miter. Okay, but I don't like wearing it that much. But, but especially when we come and we ordain him, and I ordain him, the other elders come and we ordain him. Uh, when I lay my hands upon the, the the miter is on, representing, again, the flames of fire, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we lay hands upon him, and we declare what God has promised in his word, and we know that God will answer us. Uh, and, and so you'll notice, uh, especially even with uh, the signs of the miter, and, and of course, uh, uh, the crozier, uh, these are all symbol. All this stuff is symbolizing these truths that God has revealed in Old Testament and New Testament, and which we will receive in full in the life to come. By the way, what will communion look like in heaven? Will it be grape juice or real wine? It will be neither. Communion in heaven will be to be with Jesus. We'll have the real thing. We experience through the bread and the wine, by the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence. But in heaven, we'll have him. So imagine, we'll be having communion, we'll have to like relearn. Oh, we're having communion, but when we kneel, we're kneeling because Jesus. We're not looking for any bread or wine there. We get him. All right, this morning, we get the honor, uh, the privilege to recognize on earth. Remember, this is the last thing I'll say. We ordain what God has already revealed. We would never presume however wonderful people are, to put them in an office of which God has not made clear fit the office and have the gifts of the office. But since God has made it so on earth, what in heaven he's made it so, it reveals itself in the life of the person. The church has a, a, a agreed, the priest and the bishop has agreed, and now today we come and we say, let earth reflect what heaven has determined and what Larry's character has followed through with. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you talk about knowing your prayer will be answered. When heaven has already revealed and we agree on earth, uh, we can't mess up on that kind of prayer. Right? Now, that last thing, but this is last thing, point A. Often in an ordination, people in their gifts, not necessarily to the priesthood, but there are people who in as the Spirit touches 
Larry and then visits us, he will almost always that I've been to ordinations, the Holy Spirit has been moving and releasing other people and other gifts. Remember the almond thing? The purpose of increasing elders in the church is to be a blessing to the body. And uh, one of the ways the blessing of the body is that the priest and as the Spirit comes through, through what God has set up, the gifts of the people increase. So my prayer this morning is not only, although I prayed specifically much more deliberately for Larry, my other prayer is, and Lord, as we pray and you manifest your power to bless and enlarge Larry, would you bless and enlarge each one? All right? So you pray along with us. All right? You pray along with us and ask the Lord, my portion too. It may not be the same as Larry's, but my portion too. Maybe the prophetic will release in you this morning. Maybe gifts of healing. Maybe gifts of service. Maybe teaching. Who, who knows what wonderful things God may do as he visits and blesses his people as we operate in a way that pleases and honors him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We are not worthy for these things, and we have no pretense that there's enough robes or miters or symbols to make us anything. Lord, you are everything, and we're nothing except for you love us. And so, Lord, in the most humble and... Uh, open way, Lord. We recognize that all the words that we say, that we preach, that we say in the liturgy, if you're not pleased, will not benefit us one bit. But I pray this morning that as we come in hard repentance, true faith, and humility, and obedience, the mission to your word, Lord, that your spirit would manifest and bless Larry. Lord, that would affirm and encourage 35 years of service and enlarge it. And the most, Lord, that this season of his life would bring him the most joy and delight. We thank you for Beth and his family that love you and love him. Would you bless them? And Lord, we pray for extra protection for them as well. And then, Lord, for each of us as we're here in this congregation, would you increase our gifts? Since you would visit us to bless Larry, would you visit all of us? You're such a good God. We know you will. So we open up our hearts to all the things that you'll do this morning. But especially, we pray in this ordination, come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, to the pleasure of the Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.